time for another <clears throat> random cast episode. Today we're going to be talking about the dogma known as truth that we, all of us fall prey to. And that in one way we're all guilty of falling into. I think that's really one of the bigger uh, problems that we face as a society and as a, as a understanding, as a people, as a culture, as a whatever it is, is that we have this dogma, this ideology called truth. And whatever it is that you think is true is a dogma in 99% of cases. Where, of course, that is also an assumption that you yourself are guilty of this. But we're all guilty of doing this to some extent or another. just depends on the degree uh, to which we do this. But we all fall prey to this dogma called truth where if something is true, you know, we use that truth as a hammer. And then we, we bash other people up the, over the side of the head with that hammer going, this is what's true, what you're saying is false, and you're wrong, and I'm right, and this is what, why, and, and not always necessarily, not, not even always in a nice way. And as a result, truth is a dogma, it's an ideology, it's a religion, you know, you know, but... 300 years ago, the religion was actual religion, like Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism. But now that the religion is called truth, it's called science, it's called atheism, it's called rationalism, it's called logic, it's called all these things, whatever they are. And it could be spirituality, it could be, you know, new age understandings and stuff like that. So it's not just scientists. Um, putting this on do not. Sound recognition. Zero percent. Do not disturb. Brightness. Do not disturb. Switched on. Oh, there we go. So not disturbed by what's going on in Clubhouse. And so whatever you think is true is something that I think you need to become really wary of. Really, really become aware of what you think is true. And become aware of your behavior, your actions concerning this thing. Do you then say, okay, so this is true. And then not go after people who... Th who then say false things that go against this point of view, whatever it is? Or do you actually use your truth as a hammer, as a dogma, as a religion What that people now have to believe in and, you know, understand to be true and all this other stuff? Not saying that it isn't true. It could very well be true. But it also could be false. That's the problem, is that we all are guilty of saying that something is true and we're all guilty of creating this dogma of truth, whatever that is. Could be science, could be religion, could be spirituality, could be something to do with relationships. It could be anything. 
truth is a hammer. And that hammer is used to beat down people that you disagree with every day until they agree or they they walk out going I I I give up, you know, because you're 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 not using the truth for the truth's sake. You're using the truth for your identity's sake. For your alignment's sake, like, oh, I'm the knowledgeable one, I'm the truthful one, I'm the honest one. But really what you're doing is you're trying to up your alignment and honesty and, and truth. And that's not necessarily upping your actual alignment and honesty and truth. Or maybe you think you're upping your alignment and helping people see the truth or whatever. In this game called life. But none of that shit matters. None of that shit is true. Ain't none of this shit's true. I mean, we can talk all day and night about what is true and what might be true and how this thing could be true. But unfortunately, truth is actually very shades of gray. You know, when when we look at truth, we, we have this assumption that truth is black and white. Uh, and that science is black and white, or whatever it is. And in reality, it's not. It's all shades of gray. Reality is made out of shades of gray. <clears throat> and that's why mind realities are so powerful. Is because those shades of gray called reality, if there is such a thing, m- makes it possible for the mind reality to see the black and white in the shades of gray or see something else in the shades of gray that makes them less a shade of gray and more of a dogma, more of a default default position, more of a uh, a lie, uh, uh, more of a uh, religion. Maybe that religion's called atheism or science or materialism or nihilism or whatever the hell it could be. It doesn't matter. Buddhism, Hinduism, yoga, um, you know, Catholicism. And, you know, we have this illusion that if we just show somebody the truth, they're going to believe it. If we, if we don't state it out loud, if we don't state it out loud, we state it in our heads like this. And implicitly, it's, it's kind of like, the, the reason why we do this, like, well, you need to understand that this is not true and all this other shit. It's like, because our mind is trying to make people subscribe to our religion, whatever that might be. And each person's religion is different from another person's religion. You know, especially when it comes to individual religions. Some may subscribe to, you know, liberalism more than science, and some may... libertarianism in science or some may subscribe to you know whatever it might be stayed yellow understandings in science but it's all a religion we're all subscribing to a particular kind of religion and the god that we are looking up to is what's called truth but we pretend otherwise and we claim otherwise 
and we don't realize that the truth that we're looking at is not necessarily even truth. It's a dogma. It's a it's an imagined reality. It's not real. Oh my God! There's so many ways I could just destroy that, but it's not really even the point of this episode. I'm not here to destroy your religions and your understandings. I'm here to show you and explain to you that we all of us use our truths as a dogma, as a cult like uh, indoctrination where if somebody states something that's that is false in our eyes, our minds that, that means we have to Go after that falsehood with a hammer of tr- our truth and go, no, this is wrong. And so we, we become no better than the religious people that we, you know, we call hypocrites or whatever. If we're, you know, science-minded, atheistic-minded. And so we, we embody something called selective skepticism where you, you are skeptic- you're skeptical but only of the things that your truth is... <sighs> Not, you know, only of the things that your truth says is false. Whatever that truth is. But what if reality was, is nothing but perspective? What if reality is an illusion, in fact? And that we're all dreaming this, in a sense, into being, and that the, the illusion called objective reality that we've created isn't real. And when I say created and when I say dream, I don't mean created consciously, dreamed consciously. It's something that has been created thousands and thousands of thousands of years ago and has been expanded, refined, and, and all this other stuff. And then you were born into that, and then you were raised into that, and then you then fell into the dream. You fell asleep, and you... Maybe you're now waking up from that dream and maybe you're realizing now that this truth is a dogma and then you're going, oh man, what was I doing for the past 10 or 20 or 30 years or whatever? Um, And the answer is, probably you're doing selective skepticism. You're doing some double standards and, you know, all these different things that we do sometimes. Um... So there's five different thought experiments that you can do. And there's no guarantee that these thought experiments will get you closer to non-bias. Because I don't necessarily think there is such a thing. And I don't know if there is, you know, because Actualize.org talks about how you can find absolute truth. But I don't necessarily believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth. Because if there were, you would find it everywhere. It would be pretty obvious to everyone. But but it isn't, and everybody disagrees on what absolute truth would be, and so it makes me to assume. Of course, it is an assumption. It makes me to conclude that there is no absolute truth, and so there's five thought experiments that you can do, and I might not remember all of them, but if not, I'll go back to it. In another segment, but uh, five thought make the, there's five thought experiments that you can do, and like I said, this is no by no means guaranteed to get rid of bias or anything like this. But what it does is it really makes you realize how the mind is 
not after truth like it claims, it's after its own truth, whatever that might be, and furthering its own religion, whatever that might be. That, right, the religion could be scientific. The religion could be logical. The religion could, could be rationality. It could be neuroscience. It could be any kind of number of things. Um, the religion could be evolution. But ultimately, the religion boils down to truth. Truth is the God that we're, we're all looking up to and, and putting on a pedestal and saying, this is what's true, and this is what's false, and you're believing what's false. And so when you do these thought experiments, don't just like, you know, do them and say, okay, so no, this is not true, without like visualizing it and imagining yourself being in these situations. So... First one is the double standard experiment, thought experiment, which basically goes something along this, these lines. If somebody else did what you do, or if another party, if a, if a the party that you're against does something that your party is doing currently, would you then have a different reaction? Imagine that that's that this has happened and whatever party that would be, maybe the religious people did what you did, or whatever, um, the case maybe if you're not religious, or if you are religious, maybe the science, you, the, the atheist did what you did, or whatever the case may be, would you have a different reaction, and why? And imagine this, why, why is it that we, that we cling, that we, that we cling to this, this illusion called truth, but then when it comes to fairness, and, and, being what we claim to be objective, we're not we're not fair, we're not objective, and we're not being truthful and honest with ourselves. And we, we find ourselves engaged in these double standards and these lies and these manipulations of the truth. Because truth is not real. Truth is a shades of gray kind of business where truth is very much a process itself. See, the problem is I think that truth is seen as like a static thing what that doesn't really move the mind kind of almost makes it appear to be this way the image of the mind creates about what truth is and truth is more shades of gray than and than black and white but the mind claims and it makes it look like black and white with the images that it creates about it like it, the way that it attacks other truth like this is right and this is wrong and this is black and white that's that's a all that's a all or nothing fallacy or black and white kind of fallacies can be like that or whatever it is. And I'm not saying that you, that when you see falsehood that you don't necessarily look at it as falsehood, but you 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 become honest about what you're actually you know what your actual motives are in this situation because there's two kind of motives, and I think there's probably more than that actually, but. For the sake of this um, video, this episode, there's two basic kinds of motive, motives that this scout mindset talks about. And one of them is directionally motivated reasoning, which is where you're motivated by your particular direction, your belief, your whatever it is, versus accuracy motivated reasoning, which is you know motivated by accuracy, motivated by what is ahead. A scout may not necessarily 
like what's ahead and, and might want something different, but he reports what is ahead anyways, like as accurately as possible for the situation. So, um, second test is, um, I think I've forgotten a couple of these, but is the, the conformity test. And I, I, like I said, I'm not doing these in order like the book does. The book has it in a certain order, and I, I, I forget what the order is. But So the conformity, conformity test kind of goes something like this. Uh, one example that they give, that this person gives in the book, which is really interesting because you, you can see yourself doing this sometimes. I've seen myself, you know, this is more of something I think happens when you're younger, but I mean, it still can happen, I think. But where, so the example given was where the person who wrote the book was with, you know, somebody they really looked up to and like a really good friend or whatever. And so they're listening to this album or whatever, or tape or whatever it was. And the friend said, this is, this is my, this next song is my favorite song. And when the song was done, the friend asked, how did you like the song? And the person was like, yeah, I liked it. It was a really good song. And then the friend goes, I actually don't like that song. That's like my least favorite song. I just wanted to see if you would, you know, actually uh, agree with me just for the sake of agreeing. And you know, what this person was saying was that after that happened, you you, you notice that change where you n- no longer like the song anymore. You 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 think it's lame or dumb or whatever. And uh, I think we can do this because we're social creatures and animals and you know tribal in tribal states for a long time, where we just had the tribe and the clan. We don't really have that anymore. And so, but the mind still works that way, in a lot of ways. So, it's kind of an interesting situation to be found in, for sure. So the next one is, you know, the selective. Uh, the the. Um, I'm just gonna go, you know, one by one by one here. The outsider one, which is interesting because. If you look at life this way, it, it kind of makes you realize some interesting things about your per- particular behavior and your particular patterns at the moment. So, the the the, um, the last one's question could be something like, you know, well, this, the last one we already gave pretty much. I mean, we didn't really go into questions, but you know, you know what to look for. You can ask a question like, if this person wasn't my friend or wasn't, you know, somebody that I looked up to or whatever, would I have the same response, basically? And so the next one is the the outsider. The question would be something like, if I was an outsider in this situation, would I be thinking the same things that I am thinking now? So an example that they were giving was, the person who wrote the book was, of, it was kind of interesting because you you don't really have you don't really have a whole lot of this this happening, but it can happen sometimes. But what they were talking about was that the company Intel in the eighties was being uh, competing against competed against by 
certain Japanese companies for memory uh, and stuff like this. And the company at the time was very much for, like, just staying in memory because, you know, it'd be blasphemous to leave the, the memory sector of, you know, computing and stuff. And so the, the, the question they asked was, if we were outsiders in this situation, what would we do different? Would, would we still be in, in memory? And the answer would, was no. And so they changed everything and, you know, that made th things different. Now, another history. But the outsider is an interesting one because I think it can help you to bring a little bit of dif distance from decision being made in the, in the present moment. Uh, and sometimes I find that past decisions, like when enough time has gone by, like a lot of past decisions and understandings that I had and, and, and you know, dogmas that I had, you know, they they fade over time and I go, oh, wow, you know, I could have done this a whole lot different or, you know, this, this dogma was really done or whatever it is. And I think it's almost the same thing that you're doing here in, in, as the outsiders. You're, you're saying, well, what would an outsider do? What would the outsider say? Which is basically looking at this without your assumptions and your road and your class and the classes of your particular mind religion. <clears throat> the mind religion. So the next one is the selective <coughs> skeptic test. And I might be getting this one wrong because I, you know, I'm not reading the book and then coming back to it. I'm just kind of doing this off the top of my head. But if you were to be skeptical of something, were you to... You know what, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop this recording. I'm going to look at this, the, um, the test in question, and then I'm going to come back to this in another segment. So the selective skeptic test. Um, so one more after this one. So the selective skeptic test is basically, like say you see something, some, some point of view, some understanding or whatever that you disagree with. Would you then... Um, find yourself because basically the, the the way that it was explained in the book was kind of interesting it was kind of an interesting it's a really good book I really like it and uh, I haven't finished it yet but is when they're doing the paper the, the book there was some papers that were showing that the soldier mindset was uh, good for like enjoying life and stuff like this um, for whatever reasons, and, you know, the the first response of the, the writer, the author, was, you know, to say this is really, you know, and to scoff at it, basically, and just, like, you know, shrug at it, and then, then the question, so the question is, like, would you, what if, would you then do this for your own positions? Uh, would you question your own positions as much as you do other positions could you 
if you could, you know, what would you find? Um, you know, it's something that's really interesting. Like, it's really freaky, man. The mind has so many goddamn assumptions. Like, 99% of the mind is like assumption. Assumption Valley, Assumption Canyon, Assumption Ocean. And all these assumptions, they make up your, your worldview, your understandings. And these assumptions aren't just given. These assumptions aren't some, just something that you make up. I mean, they can be, but they're usually mostly they're just given to you by your society, your, your culture, your whatever it is, your, your um, parents, uh, your education, your, you know, whatever it is, your political views. And so the skeptic test is to do the same criticism and scrutiny that you do for other other you know points of view that you disagree with and go is is this actually you know the kind of thing that's true that i believe in or is it not because we find ourselves being skeptical of things that we don't agree with you know like if you're a scientist and if you look at like spiritual stuff you will be a skeptical to those things, but if you're a scientist and you're 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 presented with you know views and understandings that correlate with your understandings or similar understandings, you wouldn't you you wouldn't be skeptical of those things for the most part. Or for instance, if you're a liberal and you're into climate change, you wouldn't you wouldn't be skeptical of climate change. But if a Republican is explaining the skeptical that he that he was skeptical of climate change you the, the argument would be oh he's just a climate denier he's just wrong about climate change and and stuff like this but in reality there is you know a side to this where you can believe that climate change exists and there are people like this i find myself in this camp to some extent as well and but also realize that the, the methods that are used to fix this problem aren't as efficient as other methods that can be used. And there's many examples that I've seen where this is true. I mean, it could be wrong, of course. But it's just something that I have seen. You know, it was, at first I, I, wasn't, I wasn't one of those people who agreed with that kind of thing. I was just like, this is wrong and this is, you know, wrong for so many reasons. But then I read, you know, more into it, and, you know, there's definitely some things to be talked about. But, you know, when you come up against somebody who believes in climate change, their answer is no. You're wrong, you're a climate change denier, and that's the end of the subject. And so they're so selectively becoming a skeptic, while not being skeptical of their own positions, their own points of view, and their own, you know, dogmas, whatever those are. So, the next one is uh, the, what is it, what is it, the, the status quo test. So, this, this can work in many different ways. Like, all these work in so many different ways that I think we could do, like, a 10-hour episode on just these five tests, and it still wouldn't cover all the different ways you can use it, but... 
the status quo test could be something like this. If the status quo wasn't doing this thing, it's somewhat like, I think I think it's almost like this popularity thing, the, the popularity test where like if somebody else wasn't saying that this thing was cool, would you then, you know, do this thing? But in this case, it's not a popular person, it's a popular thing in society that your friends are doing. So if a, something is popular that your group is doing, if, if that thing, if they weren't actually doing this thing, would you then be doing what they're doing or would you do something different, whatever that is? Um, and it goes back to the whole tribal thing that I talked about already in this episode. And the, the next part of this is about betting. Kind of interesting because it's really easy when there's nothing really at stake. But it's really easy when there's nothing at stake to make a position like this is right and this is wrong. Your, your points are wrong. But it's a, it's a little bit more difficult when there's money at stake, even imaginary money. Like if you're willing to bet that your position is right, how much would you bet? And what is your confidence levels? And not as in feeling like, are you feeling confident about this? But what is, how accurate do you think this statement is? 45%, 55%, whatever it is. And what I th- like, what I like about this particular method and understanding is that it bring makes you look at this with more objectivity than you would normally be looking at this and it looks makes you look at it with some distance and you're going oh what, what is what am i doing here you know if i'm not willing to snake on this does that mean that i'm wrong does that mean that this inaccuracy is or or that this thing is actually inaccurate that I'm thinking is accurate I mean there's no guarantee that that's going to fix your dogma about this thing but it is an interesting way of bringing some distance to your your dogmas So, these these dogmas are so weird, right? There's so many assumptions about the mind here that we're dealing with. And... <clears throat> you know, most of the time, we're not even aware of them. Most of the time, these assumptions are unnoticed, even. But I'm here to challenge them. I'm here to trying to help you to notice them. So hope you like this episode. Um, I probably I want to try and make this review in the future, but I mean I'm I'm going steadily at it here. So I mean it's not something that I want to do in like a day or, or anything. So it may take me a month to do it because I'm not just reading this book I'm just doing other things and reading other books at the same time so this is a deeper perspective and I'll talk to you in the next episode